0: And a lot of time fishing with my dad and he could never understand that what I was doing photographing in the landscape and stuff and I used to try and explain it to him that it was really an extension almost of the fishing concept and at the end of the day if you got the fish it was a bonus but you didn't have to get the fish for it to be a good day and it was exactly the same with me working in the landscape. There are days that the camera wouldn't get the
1: camera. This photography podcast is brought to you by Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. Here is your today's host, W. Scott Olsen, with another fascinating conversation. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast from Frames Magazine. My name is Scott Olson, and today we are going to Ireland. We are going to nature. We are going to one of the best, most insightful, and most evocative landscape fine art photographers I think you're ever going to find. Today, we're talking with David McGee. David has a resume that is the stuff of dreams. Just in 2020 alone, won the Silver Award at the Paris Photography Prize, won the Gold Award at the Moscow International Photo Awards, silver and bronze awards in Tokyo. I mean, you start going down this list and you think, my Lord, this is extraordinary stuff. And it's no surprise when you start looking at the images. There is something about David's landscape photography that transcends documentation, that transcends light and shadow, and, and something else leaps off those images that I find personally an inspiring and really, really moving. David, how are you today? How's life over on the other side of the Atlantic?
0: Hiya, Scott. Life is good. Life is good. Despite the fact that the world has gone slightly strange, we're putting our best foot forward. And yeah, good. Thank you for the, thank you for the invite to be here and looking forward to it.
1: Well, this is going to be a lot of fun. David, a lot of us really, you know, cut our teeth on landscape photography, either on, on purpose or by accident, simply because it doesn't move very fast. You walk outside and the tree is going to be there for a while. But landscape photography, like so many things, is much more difficult than we first imagined. Tell me what drew you to landscape photography as a subject.
0: A person is the very simple answer, Scott. A long time ago, I'm 58 as of last week, I started my my artistic endeavors in Ireland, attempting to be a fine artist as a painter. It uh, didn't quite work out, didn't quite go to plan. And I, I drifted over to Scotland to study graphic design, per se, at the Glasgow School of Art. But on day one, literally day one, I went on a, a, a weekend course Trip with with a man called Thomas Joshua Cooper who was an incredibly renowned fine artist uh, landscape fine artist and I've got to say I was just fascinated by his whole demeanour and his whole outlook on photography in the landscape as an art form now I've got to say prior to that I was one of the people that didn't really See photography as an art form. So excuse me for that, but it, I didn't. I was going down this purest fine art painting thing thing, and then I met a man, and and actually I've got to say he instilled uh, an itch that, that I'm still scratching.
1: That's an interesting progression. Though when you were doing painting, what kind of painting were you doing? Was it you know, sort of realistic? Was it impressionistic? Was it you know, still searching?
0: I was searching, I probably, uh, yeah, I was, it was abstract painting, Um, I studied painting in Cork, I had intended to to stay on doing that, but I I didn't feel right, Scott, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. Listen, I think when you're young, irrespective of what you're doing, it's difficult to find the path and, and, and and be convinced that you're on the path. When I went to Glasgow and met Thomas, he was incredibly passionate, incredibly gifted, and uh, what he did, and and, and I, I, I just had a feeling for this thing. There was something in it. His work was based on nature. My whole life was based on nature. Prior to that, in Ireland, fishing is a massive passion of mine. Being by the sea was a is is where I you know grew up. As a family, we spent every weekend by the sea fishing, etc., etc., etc. You know, on a small island, it kind of made sense. So. It, it ignited a fire in me that I, I can be honest and say that I then spent. That was 1982, so I then spent the best part of 30 years photographing, learning, but in a very insular fashion. Um, so I never went on any other courses, or I never, I never really involved myself with other photographers working in the landscape or otherwise. I I, I kind of went on my own journey to, kind of like a quest, I suppose, but. It was very much a personal journey and I wasn't ever convinced that I would out the work, as it were, really, because it fulfilled my desires for me to just get get involved in it. It was the whole adventure of being in the landscape and photographing and working in the landscape that just made me incredibly happy. And then to take that further and go to the darkroom and create pictures and, and, and move them on... and. I'll be honest, they all ended up in boxes for many, many years, you know, (laughs) (laughs) boxes of prints, boxes of stuff that I I never even framed. It was a strange one because I had this thing about never framing and hanging my own work in in my own home. So they just stayed in boxes for a very long time.
1: I mean, David, this is a remarkable story, and, and I should tell everyone because you and I were talking a little bit before we, we hit the record button here. You talk about you know fishing every day, everyone. Two things you need to know: number one, David holds the Irish record for a pike, a northern pike caught on a fly rod at thirty-three and a third pounds. Which, if you know anything about fly rods and you know anything about pike, is is a absolutely remarkable record, and I'm jealous as hell on that one. But even more importantly. David has a website, and and you need to be going there throughout this interview if you can. It's davidmcgeephotography.com. There are a handful of other David McGee's in the world, so make sure you have David McGee Photography as the website. It is an elegant, well-produced, and and, and tremendously inspiring website. I want to go back one step, though, because I I see a process developing here. You went from sort of abstract painting to graphic design, which is sort of a formal I mean, it may not be formalist, but it is nonetheless highly intentional design work. Tell me how your training in design influenced your photography, not not only composition in the field, but your understanding of printing and, and, and that kind of context, too.
0: I think because of, because of my age, uh, Scott, to be honest, I can consider myself lucky to have been in the era when we were dealing with film and chemicals and all of that stuff. Dare I say it, I went to art college long before the internet was invented or thought of, and uh, mm-hmm. long, yep. uh, long before digital cameras and all of that sort of thing. So I personally think that that was a great advantage because it manifested a way of thinking, which was, dare I say it, relatively slow because it had to be. So when I was at uh, a Glasgow School of Art, whether I was in the dark room. Or, or whether I was at a design desk, it, it, it was a relatively slow process because everything is done by hand. So any ideas or concepts or whatever, you're doing with pencil and paper. Everything in the dark room you're doing with chemicals and papers and lights and all. That. And I think what's good about that is that it instills a way of thinking. And then when I took that forward to going into the landscape and creating pictures, you did it in a slow fashion. And you did it in a very, not calculated, but 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 methodical fashion. And, and it's really nice to go into that landscape to kind of, you know, to get in tune with it and slow down and, and, and eventually create something. The focus wasn't always chasing something. And I, I, for me, that was very, very important. I used to spend, <laughs> spend a lot of time fishing with my dad, and he could never understand that what I was doing, photographing in the landscape and stuff. And I used to try and explain it to him that, it was really an extension almost of the fishing concept. And at the end of the day, if you got the fish, it was a bonus. But you didn't have to get the fish for it to be a good day. And it was exactly the same with me working in the landscape. There are days that the camera wouldn't ever come out of the bag because I may not have felt like it, to be honest. You know you know, when you're in a mood and a thing and it's not right, it doesn't <laughs> right. but you can still have a good day. So, yeah, so that's 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 kind of how that manifested itself I suppose. The design thing actually Scott was I don't know, maybe a reaction to my fine art kind of training initially. That that you know, when something isn't working you kind of buck against it and you go in another direction and I think that can be a very positive thing. And then by contrast to that, my my photography endeavors over those years, the big benefit for me was that I was doing it for myself. Now People say that when you're doing work without a brief or without a client, well, that's ideal. But actually, it's more difficult because you're kind of never happy with it. Whereas when, if you get a brief from a client to do a project, well, they know what they want you to do. And consequently, you end up doing what they want for them. Whereas when you're trying to create something for yourself, <laughs> it's very bloody challenging. It, oh, it is indeed. It is. Indeed it is the the worst brief is no brief and I think so it's the same when you're trying to create a picture for yourself that you know you, you become your hardest critic but that's good i mean it's it's a challenge and and I think the frustration of of not being happy with your work or or, or trying to evolve your work is actually yeah it's it's a spur I think it's perfect It it, it is.
1: It does spark us a lot. You say a lot of things on your website that are really, really interesting. And and, and there's a there's a couple that I want to get at here. You say that when when you go when you go out to photograph, when you're doing your landscape work, you're not going out to document the landscape. You you, you do not see yourself as a documentary photographer. And and you say that you want to push your images. This is a quote now. Push your images in a painterly direction. Yes. What
0: do you mean? Okay, so I think the first thing is I, I definitely don't want to document the landscape. In many respects, Scott, I kind of don't consider myself a landscape photographer. So I work in the landscape, but the images that I produce, they're a reaction to what, what's there, what I find there, or actually what, what, I, what I resonate with. Do you know what I mean? So what I'm trying to do is, is to produce a picture that can actually encapsulate the personal feeling that I had wherever I was. Okay, and and when I say I document the landscape, for me, it's praise that that when someone says, "Oh, I oh I don't know where that is. Oh, oh you know, is that in Ireland? Is that in Sri Lanka? Is that in India? It doesn't matter. It's not about the place. If they get a feeling from it, if they can stand in front of it and and, and it resonates that's what matters to me. Uh, um, That is the most important thing. For me, the most important thing is for someone to stand in front of a picture or or see it in in a book and to actually think it resonates. So not that they recognize it as a place. I I don't want to go and photograph landscapes or, or places that we know that are my interpretation of them. That doesn't really interest me. I'm much more interested in in, in, in photographing a rock a rock literally it can be anywhere but but if it talks to me if i feel i can create something from it that's what does it for me so rather than just simply recording a place or 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 it being my interpretation of a particular place it's much more my reaction to a place and and, and the feeling if that makes sense
1: it does indeed and you, you made a distinction, again, on, on your website that I found absolutely fascinating. You said that the landscape was your studio much more than your subject, that this is where you produced your stuff versus, you know, trying to, to take yet another picture of the Cliffs of more or something.
0: It's very much that, Scott. Uh, it is the studio, my studio. It's, it's, um, the studio is a landscape, so the studio is the place I go to work. That's literally it. But I'm not documenting that place it's the place that I work. And, and I think that's very important for me. I'm not saying for everybody. There are many incredible landscape photographers that document the landscape and we spot it. We can recognize it. And it's an amazing interpretation that we would never have envisaged of it. I think that's incredibly wonderful. But it's just, it's not what lights my fire.
1: You, you made a distinction. You, you were talking about going out and the, the adventure of, of simply taking photographs, which I think all of us know and, and, and appreciate. But you said there's the mood of a place on a certain day, and then there's the mood that you're in. And and it's almost like a math equation. Mood of the place plus or minus the mood you're in equals an an evocative image. Have you ever had a complete mismatch? Have you ever had your mood and the mood of a place just
0: not work out? Totally. (laughs) 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 Honestly, it's got loads of times. I mean – for the last year or two, I've been in an awful lot of work near my home in Ireland. Okay, now I'm, I'm very fortunate because where I am there, it's on the west coast of Ireland in West Cork. But where I am there, I have a whole plethora of cliffs and beaches and undiscovered areas, etc., etc., that I can literally ramble in that aren't necessarily recognizable to any person, which is fine. And it's, it's, it's like a playground for me. It, it really, really is. But there are many days that I might go to a place that I would know there with the intention of making a particular image, because it's kind of, my, you know, it's in the back of my head, and I'm thinking, you oh, know, if I go there, I can I can kind of, yeah. And then you go there, and yeah, I don't know, maybe there's too much light. Maybe, maybe I'm in a bit of a funk, or maybe there's something going on. And it just doesn't work. It, it literally just doesn't work. And it's funny, because there are, there are, even though I don't tend to, to, to go back and back and back, there are certain things, and they can be as simple as a rock, and that's very true. I mean, up there are several images, in fact, some of them on the website, where I've gone back, as you're saying, it hasn't worked day one. It may not have worked day five or six, but I go back on a particular day that it just works. Now, it just works, I'm not going to say because of my technical prowess, absolutely not. It kind of works because the elements all collide. And, and when I say the elements collide, that's my headspace. That's the weather. That might be the tide. That might be, you know, a whole, a whole load of stuff, and um, or just how just how I set up on that day because of the way I'm feeling, you know, that sort of thing. So as much as I like to take all of the credit, I I would like nature to take an awful lot of the credit for it. <laughs> very very good. You know, we're we're always responding
1: to serendipity and accident when we're out in the field before you head out though how intentional are you i mean when you when you pick up your kit and you're heading out the door do you know exactly what you know square centimeter you're going to be sitting on
0: absolutely not no i don't no okay Uh, i really don't no i don't i don't i don't i normally have something in my head but it's vague I'll, i'll be honest when i get to where i'm going to it's normally kind of i do a lot of stuff like like a lot of people that do work similar to mine are in the landscape, either early in the morning or late at night. So you're setting up and you're thinking and stuff. There are occasions, God, I'll be the I'll be the first to admit, there are occasions where I actually get so excited I fall over. Right? I mean, <laughs> my children will attest, and they think sometimes they're just a bit nuts, you know. But there are occasions where. My, my children have been with me many times when I'm making pictures and stuff and I can feel the light changing or I can feel something happening and you just kind of go into autopilot and it's a complete focus and almost meltdown, you know, and, and, and you're more than capable of falling over a rock because actually your head is in the other place. And I've done that on many occasions, but no, invariably I very much take. I suppose, a lead from, from what's happening on that particular day. And I'm quite happy to do that. I do it more now than I used to do, I'll be honest. I used to have much more of a, okay, this is what I'm going to try and achieve, et cetera, et cetera. But I think I now find that more frustrating than, than satisfying. And I think it's actually more rewarding when you go out and you're prepared to to deviate. You're on your way, for example, to let's say, photograph uh, a particular beach and and you're trying to get there for dawn and all that kind of stuff and you've got out of the nice warm bed, which is the hardest part, and you've done that. Then you've done the drive in the dark and you've got there, but then you're walking to the beach and then there's a cluster of stones and you're like, what happens next? Do I stop? Because the beach thing has got lights going that, Yeah, and I think nine times out of ten, I'll stop. Because actually, there's a reason that this happened. So the stones become the focus or whatever, just as an example. But yeah, I think the fluidity is, is very important.
1: Let's take just a quick break. We hope very much that you are enjoying today's episode. The very fact that you are listening to this podcast suggests that photography means a lot to you. And if that's the case, you might want to have a look at Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. We truly believe that excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit readframes.com to find out more about our publication. And now, back to today's conversation. I I want to switch gears a little bit now because you have a book, your your first book, that is astounding, a book called Outside. I have never ever seen anybody else say my first book is a 25-year retrospective. <laughs> I'm just amazed by this book. So tell, tell me, tell everyone, what's the story behind this book? Because it's, it's, not only, it's not your standard photo book. This is a really high-end physical book art production, as well as a collection of outstanding images. So tell me
0: the story of Outside. Okay, so the story of Old time is actually a very interesting story. You've hit the nail on the head by saying it's not a standard book, Scott, because it was never intended to be a standard book. I'm lucky enough to, to know uh, a guy called Fenton Smith who has a print company. Uh, I've worked with him for many, many, many years. Exceptionally high-quality print. And he established uh, a publishing company called Concentric Editions, with the intention of producing work that was specifically aimed at contemporary artists, photographers, but with more of an aim that the books themselves became a work in themselves, in essence. So as against it just being a catalogue of your work. I mean, if you think about it, any particular image that I would create, the amount of time, effort, energy, thought, Going to produce and, and create the image first, then, then you think about how you're going to print it and this and that and the other. And a lot of photographic books, or fine art books, like painters or otherwise, and um, the books that they produce tend to one just be a catalogue, which is fine. But I for me, what they tend to, to lack or to miss is the character of the artist themselves. And concentric editions approached me to produce a book i know them for a long time they liked my work and uh, i got once again a blank canvas to work with as a production and i sat down with them which is also nice because it's more of a collaborative way of working rather than a normal publisher that doesn't get involved so they very much work on the basis that we we sit down we kick it all about and we come up with a solution. And. It ends up being more of an artist's book, but produced to an incredibly high standard. So the focus for me was never going to be on selling the book, because actually, for me, it's like a work. So if I have copies of that book in 50 years' time, for me, well, 50 is probably pushing it. I'm now 57, but let's say in the future. Okay. It's important for me. So the quality was the most important part of the reason for going down the road of doing a book is it, it, it didn't, for me, it made no sense unless I could do it to the same quality that I do everything. In.
1: To describe it for people um, that are not yet on the website, it, it's you know, fine paper. The, the images are, are well-designed on the page. The whole book itself is in a, I don't want to say a slip cover. It's in a box. It, it, it's, in, it's, it's in a museum quality box. The designers of the physical book did, a, did an absolutely extraordinary job the images that are in there, t- tell me about those, because I, I want to I get back to, to sort of the, you know, the painterly bit, but here, here you've got a bunch of your rocks and seascapes. So tell me how you decided what was going to be in there.
0: Okay, well, that wasn't easy. I can tell you that for starters. So, okay, so I, I, I basically agreed that we would do the book, or we all agreed we'd do the book, and then I had to do the face uh, the blank sheet of paper and, and come up with what's the book going to be. So it didn't take too long for me once I literally got a load of images out, kicked them about and and try and think the the whole process through to think that a relative kind of chronological approach to literally what I had been doing for 26, 7 years would probably make sense. So what I actually did was, was divide the book into eight chapters immediately before I got into the detailing of the design or the lovely Japanese papers or any of that stuff. But, but the idea that I would literally start the book with just black and white images, which were produced between 1992 and 1995 from memory, and then follow those chronologically with, with bodies of work. The chapters weren't really about places. They were about bodies of work that would have happened over a five- or six-year period. And I've got to say, for me, Scott, it was a wonderful experience because it meant that I had to analyze the work that I had been doing over that period of time. And I actually think that's it's probably one of the best facets of doing a book for any artist because you see, you see your work as a collection and even though you may have pieces that to you stand out, when you sit down, analyze, criticize the work and try and piece it together over a period of time, and it's quite a tough process, but it's a very, very positive process. So I think when I, when I eventually got the book ready uh, to go to press and to go to, I, I, was, I was as excited about what I had discovered about my own work as I was about producing the book, if that makes sense.
1: It does, and w- when when you a- organize it chronologically would would it be fair to say what you 've actually created is a narrative and, and perhaps even a memoir?
0: well, yes, I mean the book started the book started off without having any text to it, and we discussed this at, at length and I remember discussing it with Fenton from the publishing house and saying, there are kind of stories that go along with some of this because actually. You know, my work is actually, it's about the stories. It's about the journey. And um, it's about, you know, it's about the entire thing. And um, so I started to write some text. I'm not a writer. I hasten to add, but I wrote some text and and we put it together. And he he was very, very supportive of you've got to have the text because actually it's the story of the whole thing that, that binds it all together. And, and yeah, I'm very, very pleased that we did go down that road. And then we went on to produce it. We went on to to literally tighten the whole thing. It's a long process for anyone out there that's thinking of doing a book. Um, It's an incredibly rewarding process, but it's a long process. And it's, yeah, it's challenging to say the least. And it's also very personal. So it's it's a very good idea to have external people look at it and analyze it and, and criticize it before you actually put it to print. Because the reality with a book as against hanging a picture on a wall, is that once it's published, it's there for all to see, to admire, to adore, and to criticize as they as they wish. So it's important that you get it right. It's four years out there. I think now I'm working on a follow up to it, which is very creatively called Outside Two, and um, <laughs> that is going to be published in in. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, it's it's an outside two covers literally work that I've done over the last five years. Um, I liked it. It, it. it is strange, as you said, Scott, that the first book you do is a retrospective of twenty five years' work. It's quite funny, and I've I've given talks and chatted about this quite quite often, and it is quite funny. But um, but it works. It it, uh, it represents that period of time. The most important point about doing the book was. Once I did the book, I decided I was going to out the pictures as pictures, in other words, to exhibit the pictures. Um, So Mm -hmm. it was an incredibly big catalyst for me. And I suppose a realization that even though I had amassed this archive of work over the best part of 30 years, that it would be very interesting for me, more than anything else, to out the book, uh, sorry, the pictures, to exhibit the pictures, and to actually get feedback on the pictures, and, and, and that's a huge thing I think for any artist, and it's something that's a little bit daunting, it's a little bit scary, but I think it's it's, it's a logical part of the process.
1: You you say there's an outside too coming along, but there's a book in between there. You you have the ancient trees at Buckland House. I do, yes so you were commissioned to do this one uh, tell tell me this in a beautiful the the book again you know elegantly produced in terms of book arts the physical book itself but going through the images that are available here i'm impressed so had to tell me where this one came
0: from well it was a strange one actually scott and it was through somebody who had seen my outside book it's it's for a very wealthy individual and he he owns a large estate in oxfordshire and he was mean in, initially to commission photographs of his extensive trees uh, that he has growing on this incredible estate. Very, very, very old trees, beautiful trees. And the original sort of commission, as it were, was going to be a series of pictures. Then saw the book. Then I kind of persuaded them that actually there's a book here, because... It just seems to me to almost make, make more sense to do a book. And I think that ties back into what I was saying earlier, that it's not just a book. For me, it's a piece of work. It's a piece of art in itself. And, and, and that's very much something that I feel very passionate about. I like to champion it. I think more people should be doing it. I really love the whole idea. Um, so that's what happened. So I, I spent a lot of time at the estate. I made a decision very early on that I would want to photograph and, and create him just of a purely black and white. It just felt right, and he, the book was never seen by the client until it was actually produced. Um, oh my! That was a bit of a punt, I must admit. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just thought no, I, it, it felt. I, I, I never doubted it. I've got to say throughout the process, it just came together. The estate at Buckland has an incredibly, to me, unique personality, and. The real challenge was to get that, you know, really all trees have this haunting kind of, there's a noise that happens with them and there's, there's smells that happen with them. And when you spend time among them, they become almost people. You know what I mean? There's like, there's a lot of stuff that goes on with trees. Um, and I spent a lot of days and nights there, I say, it, in, in that forest and, and in that place photographing these. And I just thought, yeah, it felt right. So, so, yeah, so we persevered. We took the gamble. We produced the book and we presented it to the client. And it was very, very successful
1: oh that's that's fantastic so many questions i I still want to ask here let, let let's go back to aesthetics and, and and art a little bit. You tend to do long exposure stuff, but not the cliche sort of you know super glassed out waterfall and 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 seascape and stuff there there there's a kind of middle ground to yours where You know, parts of the images are as sharp as any photographer would ever want to dream. And then you've got the long exposure stuff going on here, too. Mm. Tell me how you hit upon this style and and how much of this is hours at the computer screen versus
0: sitting on the beach. Okay. I didn't even realize I hit on the style is the first honest answer, Scott. In fact, I'm, yeah, I'm thinking specifically of the work that you haven't seen. Or that some of it is on my website, but the work that you haven't seen yet, maybe because it's in the book that's about to come out. Because I've only very recently been doing the extensive edit, etc., etc. And when I did do that, I focused on what you've just said, that what I tend to do, I've noticed, is I anchor the picture. And when I say anchor the picture, so let's say uh, I'm looking at a picture just now that has some rocks. It's got a, it's got a sky. It's got, it's got a horizon and stuff in there, and it has a relatively long exposure, but it doesn't have the glassed out thing. But what it does do is it has an area of kind of incredible detail, which to me anchors the picture, and I like to then contrast that with movement. And if you have too long an exposure, as you know. You actually lose the movement, so you lose the energy. And and I think when you're in the landscape, it's nice to be able to see what others don't see. In other words, and it's happened to me many, many times, that I'm standing there with the hood over my head and creating this picture, someone knocks on your shoulder and they say, in God's name, what are you photographing? Because they can't <laughs> see anything. You know what I mean? Yep. Like there's kind of nothing there. And I'm like, "No, don't worry. It's going to be beautiful." It, you know, I, I always use the term "it's cooking," um, which is a throwback to when I used. To, <laughs> you may remember this, but it's a throwback to when I used to put Polaroids under my armpit to warm them so that they could develop. Oh my! See what so I still refer to them as cooking. <laughs> so when I'm doing that, I said, "No, don't worry. It's cooking. It, it'll get there. It'll get there." It's not all long. It's not all long exposure, Scott. I, I suppose I did. Uh, I did. I did a lot of it at a period of time, and I mix and match it an awful lot more now than I have done. Sometimes it's purely about me seeing something that maybe others don't see through just cropping or through creative, you know, use of, of the camera. The second part of your question, I suppose, was really in the post production, and I use almost. And I won't say none, but almost no post production. You have to use some. I mean, I made the leap of faith from analog to digital reluctantly. I'll be honest. Um, for many years, I, I, I photographed using a Mamiya 6.7 camera, and was incredibly happy with my working methodology. Um, I did. I did what many others did. I, I photographed with one back which had Polaroid film in it, and one back which had film in it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What I liked about that was the discipline of having to make decisions. So you specifically chose the film type, knowing that you would make a specific type of print on a specific type of paper. And what I still do is try and work in that fashion. So I still try and see, as it were, what I'm going to end up with as a picture. And I don't like extensive use of Photoshop. I think, um, and for me, don't get me wrong, I'm not criticising how others would work at all. But for me, right, I, right, I like what what uh, um, Ansel Adams and these guys back in the day would have called straight straight photography. I, I suppose it harks back to the way I, I cut my teeth. That's that's what I did. It, it, it just wouldn't feel right. So I now use a Hasselblad camera and it's my second Hasselblad camera. I can honestly say I wasn't happy with the first one. I didn't like it. I, I found it over, over complicated. Um, the one I new, use now feels much more like my film camera. I use it literally as something that goes on the back of the lens. I, I use two lenses. They're called my standard and my wide. Don't ask me the numbers. <laughs> and, and, and this thing that goes on the back of the camera, and uh, you know the, the technology aspect of the whole thing, the extensive post-production. No, it leaves me very cold. I'm afraid it's it's not my back.
1: I, I I love that. I think we should all start referring to the camera bodies as that thing on the back of the lens. Um.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like that. I mean, it's, it's, in essence, it's a hard drive, and 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 that's as much as yeah. like I needed to do. I just needed I needed to capture as I would have done on film. It's funny because before I converted to digital, I went through a period of time where I was creating black and white pictures, but I was creating them, photographing them on color transparency film because it was 50 ASA and I could get it really, 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 really sharp, but without too much grain, and then scanning that. And then I would use that as my black and white negative. So, you know, it wasn't digital, it wasn't analog, but it was kind of just combining both. So when I eventually made the leap of faith to digital, I was adamant that I didn't want it to change the way I worked. The most positive thing that it did bring was there were occasions, and there still are, I'll be honest, that you would have the intention of maybe making a black and white image of something, but because it's literally you capture the file as a color file it gives you it gives you options when you go back and you sit down and 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 it might be three months later you you, you go to work on it and, and produce a print and you think you know what actually a blue sky would work in there sort of thing so so yeah it does it does open options if I were being really honest I would say that the thing that I like the most about working in the digital world is being able <laughs> Being able to archive the pictures without having boxes and boxes and boxes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, you're just going to have stacks of, of external drives sitting on your shelves now.
0: Scott, <laughs> I'm um, looking at I'm looking at six big orange boxes here looking at me, you know, and um, and then you're them <laughs> up extensively and stuff. Yeah, so that's in you know, a nutshell, Scott. I suppose that all it says is really no. I haven't changed my methodology. I don't really want to change my methodology. Mm-hmm. What I wanted to do when I moved from analog to digital was to be able to get to the stage where, as I had done previously, when you're in the landscape and, and, and you grab the camera, or you put the camera together, et cetera, et cetera, um, it just becomes an automatic thing and you don't get involved in the technological side of the camera. It's just a tool that does the job. And I very much see it as that. I Treated as a painter with his paints and his, you know, his, his palette, really. It's, it's for me, it's no more than that.
1: Very cool. A C- couple more questions here. This one could be, you know, either really simple or, or impossible to answer, but it has to do with the nature of experience when you are a photographer. You, you've taken a lot of pictures of the landscape where you have grown up you know that as a six-year-old as well as a, you know, 46-year-old. So all those nuances come along. You also, you know, like so many of us, you learn your gear after a while and, you know, you're, you're looking at something and in the back of your head, you know what your lens is going to do, you know what Lightroom is going to do. You know, as, as you tell the other people, it's cooking because you've got that thing out there. In, in your life particularly, how important has experience been to achieving the success you've had and then put that with this other stuff I'm seeing on your website where you've got Japan, you've got China, you've got Long Island, you've got Sri Lanka. I mean, you've got a lot of places in here where I'm going to assume you've not spent 20 years. Tell me about being an an informed photographer.
0: Does it make it any easier? I think think you create different types of images there and go ahead. So when I started, I used, I used photography, I suppose, almost as an excuse to travel, because I was, I was convinced to take my work to where I wanted to, or where I felt I wanted to, because I didn't really know, but I was experimenting, and actually, as much as I was kind of honing my, my craft, I thought I may also be honing the subject matter. It may have taken a long time to dawn on me, and it should have possibly dawned on me earlier that I didn't need to travel to create the type of work that actually really stimulates me. So the funny thing is, in the retrospective outside that you mentioned, the book, the very first and the very last picture in that book, one was made in 1992 and the other in 2016, were made, I'm going to say, half a mile from each other. And that was a very deliberate placement to start and end the book there, because the whole thing for me was a journey internationally as much as creatively and and as much as my experience was changing and and my skill sets were. However, I'm not sure whether I prefer the first picture or the last picture, because for me, they both stand up. And I think that's very important that you're not necessarily getting better, but you're changing. So I work now differently, I think. I work differently. I think my work looks a little bit different as I mature and as I, I, I kind of think differently, etc., etc. But I think the bottom line was that I, I realized that it wasn't about the place. And this was going back to something you said earlier, not documenting a place, that you can go somewhere. There's a chapter in my next book, actually, which I think is interesting, and it's in China. And I went to China... 2015, specifically to spend a month there to do a body of work or to create a body of work. I'd never been there. And I specifically wanted to create a body of work. I'll be honest and say I wasn't entirely sure what it was going to be. Now, I've actually written this only last week, so it is fresh in my mind. But I had intended, and I did, to go to the Yellow Mountain, uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to go to the Yellow Mountain because I'd seen images of it, and I think this happens a lot. And I think now, now that we're in the age of Instagram and 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 seeing more of other people's work and more, you can't help but be influenced by by other people's work. And I think that's that's common again for all artists, irrespective of what what your art is and. I'm kind of of the opinion that you're better off not seeing other people's work. I think I've come to that conclusion, that actually to work in isolation and develop it your own way is possibly a stronger way of working. But getting back to what I was saying is I ended up on Yellow Mountain and I climbed, and incidentally, it is 60,000 steps. But I climbed the 60,000 steps. I had the guide. I had the whole thing in place to spend four nights on top of the Yellow Mountain. And I can honestly say the camera never came out of the bag because I kind of felt this isn't for me to be doing. I'm actually from here. I, I don't really want to de- document it. And it was so strange. So I didn't. I had a really enjoyable time, but I didn't make a single picture. And funnily enough, I came upon a bamboo forest by chance as, as I drove through China with, with, my, with my guide. And ended up spending a week there. And the only pictures that appear in uh, my new book are in the bamboo forest. But the reason being, I spent a couple of hours wandering around it. And I just, I was just fascinated by it. It just, it just, it it sounds a bit corny, but it spoke to me is the point. And I think, you know, going back to again, what we said earlier, I, I just don't think you can overforce something. You might have the best intentions, or you might have something in your head that you want to create. But I think if you if you keep it fluid, if you're prepared to stop and photograph the stones as it gets go to the beach, you know, as we said, I think it works. So I've included I've included in this book that that I'm doing. It is actually uh, let me see. There's, there's Sri Lanka's in there. There's there's some work I've done in in Long Island in there. But there's a reason for them all, and actually I'm I'm writing the reason for them all currently. It's not that I just went to document them. There was a reason for being there and there's emotion involved. And consequently, I'm, I'm, I'm actually very happy with the picture. So.
1: Very cool. I got just two more questions. One, I, I want to put... Some of your words back at you here and, and, and see, see what else you're thinking here. You, you say, and this is a quote, my aim is to provide an antidote to the world we now inhabit, a world of excess overbranding and mass production. My intention is to offer the viewer a point in time to reflect and be drawn into a world of oneness, contemplation,
0: and tranquility. What do you mean? What do I mean? Listen, I've thought about those words many, many times. And 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 I will be able to explain them, but not in a couple of words. So I think as, as you get older also, Scott, the simpler things become more important, okay? I'm nearly 60 now. And I, I've been through a world of spending a long time in London and traveling and stuff where, where, where you know, and we all get involved in it. Ugh, the brands become important. The new car becomes important. The stuff becomes important. And, I, you know, listen – I mean, those words probably couldn't be more relevant than they are now in this world with COVID, et cetera, et cetera. We're currently living in a world that's rebelling. Nature has actually said, I've had enough. It can't cope. And what I get a huge, huge feeling about is if somebody in my pictures can resonate with nature, can resonate with the fact that I'm trying to just Lock into nature and the natural elements, uh, my interest isn't in human creations. My interest isn't in in the physical world of humans it's 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 much more nature's place and how we should slot into nature not not try and overrun it and so I tried to create images, and that's why I try to create images that people get something from you know I, I've always had this thing that an image should kind of almost be three things it should be. And when I say this now, I'm talking about a piece of art that I might buy or otherwise, but it should be emotional, probably first and foremost. For me, it needs to be emotional. It needs to be original. Otherwise, there isn't any point. And and, and it needs to have longevity. So when I say emotional, I want to walk past a piece, whether it is my own or somebody else's, and get it. I'm like, whoa, hang on, I need to look at this. You know, I get this. Whoa, there's something in there. I may not know what's in there. And then over and above that, the originality of it obviously speaks for itself. But then on top of that, I want to be able to look at that not just once, but to have it on my wall and kind of every time I pass it, potentially get something from it. So with my work and trying to lock into the natural world, which is very much what I'm trying to do, That's why I I do want it to be an antidote to to, to the world we now live in, which which hopefully will will get get back to its senses at some point and and put the priorities back in place. But it's it's kind of slow. It's kind of slow.
1: It is slow, and that's a very high standard. Last question. I'm I'm looking at all your images here, and this is the impossible question. Tell me a war story. Tell me the story of a picture that either, you know, came together in the most remarkable way, or there's something going on that we don't see, or the the story of a picture that completely fell apart. But pick one image, any image, and tell me a story.
0: Okay, okay. I'll tell you a story. (laughs) No, 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 it's okay. Um, I'll tell you a very simple story. I mean, it's quite funny because a lot of these pictures would look like they were photographed and created somewhere incredibly isolated. Void of people, very calm, very tranquil. There's a picture in here in the first book. And it's, it's made in a place called Kilbritton in, in Ireland. And it's in black and white. It's an old jetty. I've called it the jetty. It's an old jetty. And I mean, I know this because I used to fish there with my dad when, when I was very young. It's a lot of big, you know, an old jetty, big groins standing out of the water and stuff. I'm looking at the image right now, yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's in the book. So for my dad's 80th birthday, I wanted, to, I wanted to do something really nice with him. But we couldn't kind of work out. We, he, he was gone beyond, there I say, it, fishing at that point and stuff. He was 80 and he wasn't in the you know, best shape. So I said, what we'll do, we're going to go to the jetty and I'm going to make a picture. So that particular picture is, is me standing up to my kind of waist in water as it's moving and coming in and out. But what is very funny is that my, my mother and father are both just out of picture uh, sitting, sitting on, a, on a big rock. And they've got the sandwiches. They've got the, 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 they've got the sun umbrella. They've got the rug. They've got the flask. They've got the whole lot. And if they asked me once, they must have asked me a hundred times, how long is this going to take? <laughs> so, yes, that's story. We've all got stories, yeah. Scott. And I think I think yeah. for me it's very important. You know, they're not they're not snaps. They're not snaps. They're 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 they're, they're experiences. They're they're like a journey. I mean, I think you know, they're yeah, they're, there's a story with them all. I mean, there's a little bit of text actually that I introduced a new book with that says the journey is all important. Walking, looking, sitting, waiting, thinking rethinking and finally creating and i should probably put in brackets after that if you're lucky because that's (laughs) kind of how it goes you know it is a big journey but i think as long as you are enjoying the journey that's fine and and being aware that it's not always going to work out
1: oh david this has been remarkable i have enjoyed every minute of this The the photography is fantastic the insights are profound thank you very much
0: You're more than welcome. I've enjoyed it thoroughly. Thank you, Scott. Frames.
1: Because excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit us at www.readframes.com.